Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. It's a Farmer Friday. We would love to hear from you. Our phone lines will be open all throughout the show, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute here. Uh, Before we do, I will tell you we are broadcasting from the Morton studio today. And again, it's Farmer Friday. We have had so many questions coming in this week. I'm going to apologize that we haven't gotten to more of the questions this week. But we've had a lot of great callers and uh, just a ton of questions coming in. So let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag. All right, Brandon, this one comes to Rick. He said, first of all, thanks for asking my question about lodging problems associated with the use of prowl on corn and soybeans. When you responded to my question, I got the impression it was common knowledge prowl should never be used. Well, I read the label again, thinking that I had misread it, but corn is a labeled crop, and there's no mention of phytotoxicity. That's right. So I asked you the question because a neighbor had theorized prowl was causing my lodging problems. Last year, I did not use prowl, and I had the best stand of corn and beans ever. My base saturation K is 5%. My copper is 1.5 parts per million. My question for you today, I'm wondering, why would a crop be listed on a label if it shouldn't be used? My dealer does not know prowls should not be used on corn, and it's very frustrating, and I cannot trust the information on the label. Is there a publication that lists pesticides and phytotoxicity possibilities? You know, that's the that's part of the reason why we do Ag PhD. There is misinformation out there all the time. So there's been a lot of talk about this here over the last few years about the media and that the media is completely misleading a lot of people and they will just tell you flat out lies and it doesn't really matter. There are no consequences for for them. It's the same kind of thing with some of these labels. I'll give you an example going back to years ago. So when I was a young agronomist, you would look on the counter insecticide label and it would say it would control cutworms. Well, counter doesn't kill cutworms. And so I asked the company about it and they said, well, yeah, we label it because there aren't that many people that have problems with cutworms. And if there is, we'll just pay for any resprays. <laughs> I'm going, what? How could that be? So there are some of those things that are out there. In fact, a lot of those things that are out there. And that just gives us a job, I guess. And a lot of other good agronomists a job because we have to sort through a lot of those issues. All right, let's go to the next question. This one comes from Stanton, who said, I'm ready to apply my spring wheat nitrogen application using 28005. Can that be put on frozen ground with my stream bars? You never want to put any, almost anything on frozen ground. I was trying to think of if there is something I'd put the on frozen ground. The best thing to go on frozen ground is snow. That's yeah, it. yeah. So... Uh, this also gets a little bit confusing sometimes when we say, hey, we go out when the ground is frozen in March and spray our herbicide, and it works fantastically well. That's the first half of the story, or the first half of the sentence, and the second half of the sentence is we'll say, we go out on frozen ground, but it has to be on days when the ground is thawing in the afternoons. So in the mornings, the ground's frozen, but in the afternoons, the ground is thawing. So we're basically right at that point where you go from winter to spring, and that's when we want to go out and do things. So if you're going to go out and put this fertilizer on, I don't have any issue with it if we're right at the time where things are going to be thawing because we've got to get fertilizer attached to the soil. We don't want it laying in the surface of the soil when that ground is completely frozen and going to remain frozen for quite some time. 
All right, let's get to the phone lines. We've got Jeremy calling in from Minnesota. Hey, Jeremy, how's it going today? Pretty good. How about you guys? Great. We hear you have a question about nitrogen. I do. I was talking to you guys yesterday at the end of the show, towards the end of the show, about uh, potassium and leachine. Yep, yep. And um, <laughs> I said I'd call back today because I was going to ask about uh, if you're going to give an opinion on my nitrogen strategy. Sure. Um, kind of a long, long deal here, but I just kind of actually wrote it down here quick because uh, let you, or I'll give you an idea. Yeah, of what go I'm ahead. Doing. Um. Well, so anyways, um, like I said, we got 10 cc. Yep. Um, shooting for like average, roughly 200 bushel an acre corn. Yep. Um. So if a guy figures that, you know, he's got probably it needs about 225 pounds of N. Okay. Um. And then roughly two and a half percent organic matter. So. I figured that, you know, would be roughly 50 pounds you might get from that during the season. Yep. Uh, so I subtract that, made it 175. And yep. then I have been applying manure whenever possible. Okay. Um, I do chicken litter. I always get it tested. Yep. And that usually comes out to be, well, total nitrogen around 50 pounds per ton. Okay. Um, but that's total. So the first two availability, availability is usually around half. So okay. four times 25 pounds, usually about 100 pounds. Okay. Um, and subtract that off down to about 75 pounds I need to apply yet. And right. then um, I roughly put on about 15 pounds of the planter, mix you know, 28% ATS. Mm-hmm. Um, usually at a minimum, all the crop uh, uh, broadcast pre plant gets at least 100 pounds AMS. Um, so uh, let's track that down. I'm about left 40 pounds left that I need for that crop. And the remaining end, I've been putting down a blend of either like urea and ESN. Okay. So with all that and like the, the manure, um, out of that 100 pounds, it says on the, on the Midwest on the Midwest Web test yep. that, you know, it's 75 pounds of that would be roughly organic end and the 25 would be ammonium. Okay. And so, I mean, would you consider that being split applied? Because, um, like, even between the organic matter N and the manure N, uh, the 50 plus 75, you know, it'd be about 125 pounds of okay. organic N, and then yeah, I, um, you yeah. Know, the rest are, you know, 50 pounds of ammonium, I guess. Yeah, I see where you're going on all this. You have several things there that are what we would call slow release. The manure or litter, you've got ammonium sulfate that usually will break down over two months, and then ESN is going to break down over time, plus the fact that organic matter doesn't all come available right away either. So if it's me, I may possibly, especially in a cold spring, I might even put a little bit more out with the planter or, you know, at planting time. So in other words, bumping that 40 pounds early, and then I'd just be ready to go to apply a little bit more in season. All right. Hey, uh, I'll tell you what, Jeremy, we got, we're up against a break here. Uh, hang on for us. If you got any more questions, we'll get to those right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Pentair Hypro 3D nozzles are your premier choice for fungicide applications. Syngenta fungicide application field trials have shown Hypro 3D nozzles provide a yield advantage of up to 10% over other nozzles, maximizing the return on your fungicide investment. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. 
Vellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. When it comes to innovative herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Credit Extreme, the herbicide with dual salt technology that makes all the difference. Faster uptake, quicker rain fastness, and better control in variable weather, something we've all had our fair share of. When you need more powerful weed control for challenges like lamb's quarters and velvet leaf, with excellent safety to Roundup Ready crops, you need Credit Extreme. New Farm and Credit Extreme, here to help. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren, live in the Morton studio, talking today about a variety of things, actually whatever you are interested in, because this is a Farmer Friday. If you want to call in, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. So right before the break, uh, we were talking about the this, uh, we were talking to Jeremy from Minnesota about his nitrogen needs. And there were a couple last things that I wanted to mention there that we didn't get a chance to uh, to talk about. The, the most important thing that we didn't say is, is there any carryover nitrogen? Okay, so do we have 10 pounds coming into the season? Do we have 50 pounds coming into the season? I don't know. And number two, what was last year? Was it soybeans or corn? And how much of that, if it was corn, how much of that corn residue is left? Now, if I remember right from yesterday when we were talking to him, I believe he was rotating. So if it was soybean ground, I'm not too worried about this. But the point is simply, first of all, we don't consider any such thing as a soybean credit. There is no such thing. That's a made-up term. Uh, that's complete fiction and garbage. So if you ever hear an agronomist tell you, oh, there's a soybean credit, there is not. But what they usually won't tell you is how much nitrogen's coming out of your soil organic matter. Okay, so that's real. And Jeremy did figure that. He was talking about 2.5% organic matter, so roughly 50 pounds of nitrogen hopefully coming out of his soil's organic matter in Minnesota over the course of the entire growing season. But anyway, here's where I'm going with all this. If let's say you were doing corn on corn, I would throw an extra 50 to 75 pounds of nitrogen out there just figuring that we're going to have some tie-up in that high carbon residue. Until we get our carbon to nitrogen ratio flipped a little bit, then we've got to make sure that we have plenty of nitrogen out there. The other thing is, and you heard me say right at the end of our last segment, is I would throw a little more out at planting time than he's doing, and here's the reason why. We've got to make sure we have good nitrogen availability early on in the year, and in our trials, we have found, you know, if we don't get much rain, you only have a little bit, you don't get much, and you don't have a whole lot of nitrogen there ready to go, your yields absolutely can suffer. I'm not saying to put 
another 100 pounds out or anything. But I am saying, would I consider throwing another 20 to 40 pounds out beyond what he was doing? Yes, I would. Because he was talking about throwing just a little bit with the planter and then maybe some urea, ammonium sulfate, uh, ESN, that kind of thing for um, you know, and a few pounds out there, but I would get something that's pretty available early on. So I might bump my rate with the planter a little bit. I might throw a little bit more with the herbicide. Nothing extreme, but a little more I might do, especially in a dry year. Right now, like for where we farm, we are in the severe dry in a severe drought area. Okay, we have no subsoil moisture, so we even if we get average rainfall here, that's not enough. We need a little more to make sure that that nitrogen's going. So I want to be ahead of things. I want to make sure I have ample nitrogen in the ground. I'm not too worried about loss. Even for him with the 10 CEC ground, unless he gets lots of rain, I just don't, I'm not that worried about nitrogen loss this year compared to 2018, 2019, when we had record rainfalls. All right, let's get to the phone lines here. Got a friend, Tony Wendler, with us right now. Tony, how are you doing today? I'm doing excellent today, Darren. You've got a, got a beautiful sunny day out there, and we're getting ready for cold weather. Yeah, yeah, no doubt it's going to get cold. Hey, talk to us just a little bit about grain. We've had so many farmers talking to us now that, man, the grain's worth quite a bit, but I think I want to hold on a little longer, hoping the markets get better. Is there anything we should be concerned about? Uh, well, you in know, terms the, of the condition uh, of the grain, Tony, not not the okay, markets. I was, was going to say, if you if you're asking me about the market, if I really had my handle on that, I would be in uh, Tahiti with the satellite <laughs> absolutely, radio. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but uh, in, in terms of the grain, uh, you know, you've got uh, you've had some warmer temps here this winter. Uh, we are right now here in the uh, upper Midwest, getting ready for a real Arctic blast. One of the things that occurs with this, so farmers need to be thinking about this after this moves through to uh, run their fans and break up the convection. What's going to occur right now, we've got these uh, sub-minus, uh, single-digit minus teens numbers coming with northwest wind. will chill the northwest side of grain bins, and that will cause moisture migration to that wall, and that's where farmers see the rot on that northwest side when they empty their bins. To get rid of this, what they need to do is wait uh, till we get past it. And when they see temperatures that uh, are similar to what their corn is being stored at or their grains being stored at, run their fans for uh, three, four, five, six hours, depending on how big their fans are, and break up the convections that are occurring inside that bin. And that's just a good plan to do that at least once a month, no matter what. Um, winter, summer, spring. You should run your fans for a period of time, once a month, to just break up whatever convections are forming. If you've got some extremes going, you might want to do it more, but I've, my rule of thumb is that uh, I'll plan mine, and once a month, if I start doing it in the fall on the 15th, I'll shoot for every month around the middle of the month on the 15th and look for weather that has uh, air correct to what my my grain is stored at sure and sure. run the fans you know so. you, you talk a lot about bin fan controls and of course you designed a system as well tony is this something in the future you think we should just program in where once a month it looks for the right conditions just to make sure we're doing good actually yes and uh my systems are not that way yet 
But when well, I nobody nobody is doing that. It, I mean, I haven't talked to anybody doing that yet. But it's the smartest thing that I've heard today. And when we think hey, about hey, that, you know, we, we got to watch out. I, I've actually my initial program was to have a module in there to do that. And if you look, I've got uh, boxes down in my workroom. There's about uh, half dozen, ten of them that have the space cut out for me to insert that module. My issue was I just couldn't get the thing to link right and do what I wanted it to do. But it was actually intended to go on that you could set the thing that at this temp, after date, it would run for so many hours uh, when the uh, temperature is the right conditions. And the, the control might say you're only going to get an hour today, and then you'll get two hours tomorrow, and you'll get the last uh, one hour the following day. But it would uh, that timer would keep running until it... Uh, obtained all of its uh, all of its requirements. All right, we're talking with I Tony Wendler here with Farm Shop MFG. I know we get a lot of questions about bin fan controls. Uh, you can find more information about that from from Tony at farmshopmfg.com. Tony makes great points today with this cold snap that's coming through the upper Midwest. Uh, it, it's a big deal, and it, it could cause some rot in the bin, so you got to be really careful. Tony, thank you so much. Really appreciate that. I want to talk to you about uh, closing wheels coming up uh, next time you get a chance to be on. Okay. Okay. Sounds great. Uh, the, throw in one interesting comment. Was that the trade show in Des Moines? Not a lot of farmers showed up as compared to uh, other years, but people who showed up were serious and they're buyers. That uh, was mentioned from different years. There weren't lookers. People showed up who were serious. Yeah, I love I love the fact that people are really fired up here going into this season. I think that that bodes well because when you're going into a crop year with a positive attitude, uh, makes all the difference. Thank you so much, Tony. Really appreciate having you on. Uh, Brian, get a question that came in from Marty, and he said, "I got a couple fields in North Carolina that the last two years have had serious water hemp and Palmer pigweed infestations. Last fall, I seeded these fields to barley, and this year a dairy is going to chop the barley for silage. After harvest, I'll plant back non-Roundup-ready silage corn. Considering using Verdict as my burn down, yep. would you still tank mix Gramoxone with it, or would you just spike the Verdict with a little more Sharpen? And if so, how much additional Sharpen would you add?" Well, it kind of depends on how big stuff is at the time. Personally, I think you're going to be fine with the Sharpen. I would maybe throw a little Roundup with it, though, to help on grass weeds. That's the thing that Sharpen is going to be weak on. But, yeah, if I went out there with Verdict at, say, 10 ounces, that's going to give you 2 ounces of Sharpen. If you throw crop oil with it and a little Roundup with it, you'll probably burn down about everything that's there. And then the good news is post-emerging corn, you've got plenty of great options for more broadleaf control. All right, thanks for the question, Marty. Uh, I got this one from Amos. He said, I heard you talking about copper the other day, wondering could you all do some more talks like this on other minerals? Of course, Amos. We do that all the time. We like to talk through each of the nutrients that our crops are going to need one at a time. Uh, and we talk about it all together and talk about balance as well. Thanks, Amos. Really appreciate you checking out our content. Stay tuned. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy all the way down to the last drop. 
AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of Burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your Burndown. It's about time. Applied at planting, new Zyway 3D fungicide from FMC delivers foliar disease protection from planting to harvest. Active ingredient flutriophol moves from the soil through the corn as it grows for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. For season-long protection, choose first-of-its-kind Enfuro Zyway 3D fungicide. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. All right, if this is your first Farmer Friday tuning in, here's how it works. We take your calls and agronomic questions all through the show. So if you're wondering about something, you want to talk about a different topic, just give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD, and we will get you on. Otherwise, you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Got Rob with us now over in Illinois. Rob, how are you doing? I'm good. A little warmer than you guys probably, I would guess. Well, it's hard not to be. We're kind of cold today. In fact, I really don't want to be outside. It's one of those days where I'm happy that I have something I can do inside in a heated building. I, I, I agree. I had to get out and feed the cows this morning and was able to jump in a heated truck, thank goodness. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Talk to us about that. Now, you've got a cold snap coming through the upper Midwest, and you're right, it's colder in some areas than others, but uh, how do the cattle adjust to that? Do you change anything up on the ration or anything else you're doing? No, we just make sure we clean the lots. We've, we've actually been really dry um, here in McLean and Woodford counties here in Illinois, and then started getting a little bit of rain, and um, 
So we clean the lots off and then just bed real good with cornstalk bales and then top it off with some straw um, as needed just to get them up off the off the concrete and in the shelters. And, you know, it, it's it's funny. Our, we don't have to have wind breaks like you guys do out there and that kind of stuff so much because our, you know, typically our flat black is not used for, for cattle grazing, okay? Ours is we got the hills and the hollers and they can get down out of the wind. Okay. That's basically all a cow needs is to get up out of the wind, you know, get out of the wind. And so we got some hills and hollers and just make sure they can get up on clean dry bedding so sure sure yeah that's that's important and and uh you know as we get closer and closer to planting season which as soon as we hit february man i don't know what it is i start getting all excited and and man we've only got this many weeks left till we're gonna go when do you guys get started in in your part of the world okay so we typically will put on fertilizer we usually get a stretch for anhydrous probably that first 15 days of March, we do spring and hydrous instead of fall, um, just because of some CSP contracts and that kind of stuff with USDA. But um, then beans will start. Oh, it used to be, you know, seven years ago, maybe we wouldn't, we'd do corn first, but now we do our beans first and we'll do beans anywhere from say the first of April to uh, if we can up to like the, we'd like to get an end by May one if we can, and then do our corn. Um, even though our planting date got moved from April 20th on the crop insurance stuff to April 15th, we still maybe go, you know, a little bit before then. So, yeah, that's, it's interesting that you're switching to beans first. I assume you're getting more yield out of the beans or, or why are you making that change? Yeah, there's been a lot of research done here in Illinois that we want them flowering by the longest day of the year, June 21st. So we try to get them in as fast as we can. And then the other thing that's helped is just all the different fungicide and insecticides and stuff that we have been seed treatments that we can put on these beans um, to let them, even if they have to lay in there, you know, in the ground for a month or what, you know, and, you know, we've had them snowed on, hailed on, you name it. And we've still had pretty good luck with uh, getting yield. Um, And it's been about, I don't know, five to seven bushel versus, you know, mid-May to even first of June. So. Yeah, you're speaking our language here. We we think the same way. If we've got that good seed treatment on there, we can tolerate a lot more of the, the cold weather and still thrive. Uh, question for you, and I don't know if you know the answer to this. When you think about oil content or protein content in beans, have you, have you done mm-hmm. any research on that and what we can do to get better oil content or better protein content? I can tell you in Illinois, the Illinois Soybean Association has done a lot of research on that. And it seems to be a lot of geographic areas. Like, and Illinois is long. We're 500 miles, I call it deep, you know, north to south. And it seems like our research we've done, based on the crop um, growing regions, the nine in Illinois, the farthest tip will have a better oil content and a better protein than, like, the middle part where I'm at or even, like, the DeKalb County I-80 corridor. It seems like it's, I don't know if it's sunlight. Um, that's over my head. I'm not a plant breeder. But all the research I've seen by the by the studies that Cargills and CGBs and those folks that ADMs have done, as far as based on location, um, they know um, where that good oil is or where that you know the protein is um, for their crush. So I wish I wish somebody could tap that. Okay, um, and I know there's a lot of research going on with the United States Soybean Board, also a lot of state you know QSSBs um, trying to figure out or solve that piece of the puzzle. So where maybe eventually we can get paid, you know, for our oil and protein content. You bet. Yeah. Yeah. We were looking forward to getting those answers as well. Hey, Rob, we got to run, but thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Good luck here heading through the rest of the winter.
Yep. Thank you for the opportunity. See you, bud. You bet. Uh, let's head over to Oklahoma, and we've got Jeff with us right now. Jeff, how are you doing? Doing wonderful. Have a have a nice day today ahead of the cold uh, Arctic blasts coming towards us. There you go. How cold are you going to get down there? Oh, they're talking lows down around zero, so so not as wow. bad as you guys are up further north, but but still still cold for for down south here. Yeah, no kidding. Well, zero is plenty cold. I think uh, when you think about it as thirty two degrees below freezing, uh, that really puts it in perspective <laughs> a little bit. Okay, so talk to us. What what have you got on your farm right now? You got any winter crops that are out there that you're worried about? So, Right, right now we've got winter wheat out, uh, which is typically very resilient. We're we've uh, been in the dormancy stage, so I'm not too worried about the cold weather there. Uh, about a thousand head of stalker cattle on hand, so we're grazing some wheat pasture as well as a grow yard. So that's that's the biggest concern with the cold weather right now. Um, you know, this this has been every every year. I say it's a, a challenging year, and I guess that's part of farming. Uh, you know, we were we were wet early at wheat planting time and couldn't get in the fields and so we were chasing moisture going away when we did finally get started planting and so there's a lot of up and down in the crop i think overall the crop down here in oklahoma looks very good i think the latest ratings had us in a 60 plus percent uh, good to excellent so uh th- things are good we've we've had moisture you know for the for this el nino we were supposed to have we've been plenty wet through the winter and it's been a challenge getting our top dressed uh, nitrogen on. So that's kind of next in the ballpark is, is getting some fertility out and then turning around and we'll start running fungicide, insecticide, early season shots, and just trying to take care of this crop and get our fertility needs out there for our yield expectations. Well, you know, you mentioned the the early season fungicide, insecticide. I think that's awesome that you're talking about that, Jeff, because a lot of those diseases end up blowing up through Kansas, then Nebraska, and eventually to us here in South Dakota. So, man, if you guys in Texas and Oklahoma just do an unbelievable job, maybe we'll have less disease pressure up here. <laughs> Why? Well, that's what I keep thinking about the Texas boys. Uh, you know, that, that wish it was that easy, right? A lot of- yeah, a lot of the guys around here miss, and and I understand the the finances of it. But you know, we have dependably seen two insecticide, two fungicide shots paying, and we're we're seeing anywhere from seven to ten, or even more bushels per acre yield advantage from that in strip trials. And you know, we're we're doing 120 foot strips with the sprayer across half sections. I mean, you know, we're doing multiple uh, trials out there with it on farm, and you know, it's something that I've seen that really pays along with the addition of sulfur. And, you know, I, I caught the last bit of that on a soybean and, and some, some protein issues and stuff like that. We grow soybeans. I'm not a professional bean farmer, but I was involved in, in canola for years and years. And, you know, the, the, the sulfur deal as for synthesis of protein in wheat and building protein in canola was always vitally important. And that's that's something that we also, you know, on our, our more limited soybean acres down here, um, you know, we try to make sure we've, we've got a, a, a good base coverage of, of sulfur for that crop, and it, it seems to be paying off. Yeah, that's important. So when you're doing that top-dressed top dress nitrogen, you're throwing sulfur with that? Yes, yes, and that's our second top-dressed shot that we're adding sulfur with, and uh, we, we typically run 20 to 25 pounds per acre of, of sulfur. And I, I sell, I don't deal with the local co-ops and terminals. I sell the flour mills and we have on-farm storage, uh, have a grain analyzer. So every load that comes off the farm goes through the grain analyzer. And so, you know, we're looking at those quality parameters. 
and uh, you know, trying to go out here and figure out what do we need to do to maintain quality, to get good test weight, good berry size, and have high protein levels. Because protein is typically deficient in the South. And so that's something that we build on, and that's one of our marketing models is growing a high quality, you know, where wheat is the, the low-priced stepchild of the grains. But, you know, what can we go out here and do for quality? And, and that's my focus is, you know, differentiate myself, make a quality product, and does it cost money to do it? Yes, but if it pays, if you have ROI, it is well worth doing. Yeah, that's exactly and, uh, right. We got to shoot once again in the market this year. You know, you can't. I can't strive enough how important on-farm storage is. Absolutely. Uh, talking with Jeff here down in Oklahoma. Jeff, thank you so much. This is a great talk. Really appreciate it. Good luck. You're heading into the spring. Stay tuned. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farm your way. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite Genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio here from the Morton Studio. 
take your calls and agronomic questions too at 844-44-AG-PHD. We got Philip on with us right now up in Ontario. All right, Philip, it's been kind of a crazy market year so far. Uh, how are you doing? You know, I'm doing okay now. It's uh, a lot better, a lot better in farming than it was the last time I ch- chatted with you. Yeah, isn't it crazy how that that works out? I, I know I was looking at a, a farmer confidence survey that they said, "Wow, we we've just got these astronomically high numbers right now for crop farmers." But but uh, wow, we came off astronomically low numbers. So yeah, it's been a big turnaround. Yeah, I think the last time I chatted with you, I was pretty down because of the pandemic, and we still got the pandemic, and it's still pretty terrible, but um, farmers managed to get uh, a lot better prices, so uh, that helps in a kind of a tough situation with the pandemic. Hopefully, we can kick that to the curb sometime in late 2021. So, Yeah, yeah, sooner the better, no doubt about that. So what's happening up in Ontario? Well, it's pretty cold here now, uh, probably about the same where you are. And uh, uh, last year we had good crops. Uh, my crops were about average to above average. And uh, and then, of course, we had the real good prices. And uh, farmers now are just making plans to uh, to uh, see what they plant in 2021. I don't know if it would be quite like in your country. I don't know whether in the United States you're going to plant more corn or more, a lot more soybeans. Who knows? Uh, but that's what we're doing, making plans for 2021. Of course, there's no conferences to go to or anything like that because we're locked down tight for the pandemic. Everything's locked down here. So, so really staying close to, to home. Yeah, I know it. I'm, I'm getting a little stir crazy, but we're doing some virtual things and it's really changed the game. Having those options, having that technology improvement where you can see some things, but we had a, a, farmer on here a little earlier on the show he went to a farm show that was open and he said there weren't too many people there <laughs> no no i i i really lament that i mean it's something we have to do to to get by what we're going through it's uh, really tough this covid 19 but i look forward to the day when we all can get together again and 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 get back to normal in lieu of that we have all this virtual activity going along and it's just not the same but We'll take it in these tough conditions. Yeah. So, all right, you're stuck at home. I would assume you're doing some studying, doing some reading. Are you learning anything that's going to help the farm or, or learn anything, any trends in ag that you think are pretty exciting? Um, I, I, I do an awful lot of uh, work in marketing. I speak on the markets up here in Eastern Canada. So I'm, I'm constantly looking at the markets. I find it particularly fascinating uh, over the last couple of weeks, especially when you compare what happened in the stock market uh, with uh, GameStop and AMC and, and BlackBerry and those stocks and, and the Reddit crowd and the Wall Street bets. And I, I've written columns about how that relates to agricultural marketing. And, and uh, so I, I've really uh, been into that the last uh, few weeks. I really find that interesting. As far as my farm goes, I have a lot more wheat, uh, winter wheat, uh, going into this following year than I ever had in my career. It's just more of a rotational concern. And, uh, of course, I've been able to uh, price uh, price some crops at some pretty profitable levels going into 2021. So as far as new things other than that, uh, frankly, at the local level, I do find it hard to know what's going on locally. Uh, and I know it's been a challenge for 
maybe people like yourselves and people in the industry who want to launch new products or talk about new technology, but they can't have a meeting to get everybody together. So it all has to be through another means. So that's certainly been challenging. Yeah, it's been been quite a year, no doubt. And you're right, the mar- those markets, the stock market, it's been pretty pretty interesting to follow as well. Uh, Philip, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on and, and look forward to maybe seeing you in person down the road here too. That Wouldn't that be fun? We hope, we hope <laughs> we get there someday. Thank you very much. You bet. Thanks, Philip. Yeah, I will say this though, that someday, in my opinion, is coming soon. It's not going to be very long. Like in our state, it's about 20, and they, they figure the numbers though. So it's probably 30% of the people have already had COVID. We're up getting close to 15% of adults already have the shot. So we're at almost 50% now. And so I, I would guess two months from now, things are going to look a lot different than they do today, especially as they speed up the vaccine, vaccine production. So I think things are going to go a lot faster here in the next couple months for all these shots. But anyway... Yeah, can't wait till things get back at least much closer to normal. Well, so, okay, so we do these virtual events, Brian, and this is something that in the past we hadn't done our agronomy workshops in a virtual format like this. We got some feedback from Argentina, uh, from Diego. He said, I was watching your soybean workshop this week, and it was great. He said, unfortunately, I wasn't by the beach this time, and he's laughing. He said, I wanted to know, though, what are the advantages and disadvantages of planting in twin rows? I heard you talking about that. It's not something very common here. Is it anything we should be looking at? Well, the reason why the twin row thing got going was because of corn, where a lot of people wanted more population, but if you do more population all in the same row, that's hard if you're in 30-inch rows. And they didn't want to go to 15-inch rows because of the corn head. So anyway, the, the twin row thing came about thinking, well, maybe we can continue to use our same corn head and run two rows through one. So two rows of corn through one row on your corn head. And you know, that makes some sense. It's not going to be as good, though. You're still going to have some loss out there. But anyway, by having it this way, now it allows you to have a bigger tire than you would be able to have in a 15-inch row. And you are somewhat accomplishing what you did in uh, with the 15-inch rows in, in getting the rows just a little wider. Generally speaking, they're 7 inches from side to side, something like that. Um, and then you've got more space. You then have 23 inches going to the next row. So I, I guess the biggest disadvantage for me is it just costs more money. You're going to spend more money in a planter because basically you have to have, to have twice as many rows with that planter. Or you can certainly go double it back. Uh, just in our little research stuff, we've done that many, many times where we plant 30-inch rows and then we just go back again, planting 30-inch rows again, offset by about 7 inches. So, you know, you can do that stuff just in the short term uh, to try it out and and see what you think. So that would be my suggestion if you want to try it. But I don't know. I mean, it's really never, never taken off just because the harvest is still kind of challenging. And in terms of the planter, it's going to cost you more money. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, get this one from Monty about, um, or I'm sorry, from Patrick, I guess, in this one. He said, I'm want to ask you guys about compaction and at what point does compaction happen in regards to weight and moisture of the soil? Would you measure it in pounds per square inch of contact with the ground? How would driving a pickup truck, for example, across a field versus a loaded grain cart compare? Another 
comparison may be uh, how much better would tracks be versus conventional tires? Okay, there's all kinds of research out there. So you can just look online and you will find plenty of stuff. Yes, you would measure it based on PSI. But in terms of how bad is bad and how much compaction are you going to create, that's where it gets a little bit tricky. So I'm not going to have any exact thing I can tell you, but you can look at plenty of the studies that are out there. But yeah, it's how much are you putting in one spot. And so that's why they talk about, hey, if you were to spread the load, either with tracks or by reducing your tire pressure, having bigger tires, having more tires on the same axle, anything like that is going to reduce the PSI at each individual spot in that field. Hey, one other thing that I will say, as long as we're talking about compaction, and, and he asked about grain carts. What we always tell our people is, as much as you can, drive straight up the row and then go uh, along the end rows. Don't go at an angle through the field because it's that first pass that creates most of the compaction. The first pass creates most of the compaction. So when you don't normally run at an angle like that, I mean, we can often see those angled tracks a year or two later. So that's our advice, or I shouldn't even say advice. That's our guideline for our guys who are running a grain cart in the fall in our fields. All right. Thanks for the question. Got this comment from Gary, and he said, I attended your soybean agronomy workshop. One other great thing that day was I got signed up for the Neil Kinsey Clinic coming up later in February, and I started reading his book. Your question on how to raise protein levels in soybeans. Well, his chapter on sulfur says raising sulfur levels will raise protein content. Hey, Gary, thanks for that feedback. Look forward to seeing you at the Kinsey Clinic. Stay tuned. It's Farmer Friday, and we'll be right back. It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with High Striker treated nitrogen. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. 
Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's Farmer Friday, and our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got this from Geronimo in Indiana. He said, I've got 500 pounds of, or 500 tons of manure, straw, and organic matter together in compost. Wondering how much weight would be, would you estimate, would be lost when this huge pile of manure and other materials is composted? It's probably around 50%. That's a lot of times what they'll say is the overall volume goes down by about 50%. Yeah, it depends on how much straw is in there. You know, there's yep, not a whole lot of moisture right. in straw. And when, what's right. going down is a lot of the moisture will come out of there. Right. And you'll see you'll see that moisture leaking out of the pile, that kind of thing as it's yep. heating so up. So if there's a lot of straw, you might it might be 30% instead of 50%. But all we know is it's going to be less. Okay, uh, I get this one from Elizabeth. She said, you talk about nutrient requirements for the soil and for a lot of different crops. How about cannabis? Do you have any research data on phosphate needed for cannabis? I don't think we do. Not that I'm aware of at this point, but boy, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of research going on on that right now. But but <laughs> so far we have not we have not come across that. That's not that hasn't been a crop we've been raising either. But uh, I do appreciate the question, Elizabeth. I got this one from Johnny. He said you guys talk about some forms of nitrogen fertilizer, but I can't seem to find a boron form around close by me other than boric acid. Is that something I could consider using on my farm? You know, this is an interesting question, Johnny, because we get a lot of these types of questions uh, with some forms of fertilizer and nutrients that I haven't heard of or haven't used before and don't have any experience with. I don't have any experience with that, with boric acid specifically. The, The challenge gets to be human safety and safety to your equipment as you're applying some of these different products. If you can apply it safely and it's not uh, something dangerous for you and not something dangerous for your equipment and it provides available boron, it's something that could be considered. But but yeah, I don't know specifically on that one. Okay. And I, I would just say you have to ask more fertilizer dealers. If you ask 20 fertilizer dealers within a 200-mile radius of you, you will find probably 10 of them are supplying boron to people. So it's just unfortunately not every fertilizer dealer is selling boron. Many are super focused on NP and K, and only some are focused on the micronutrients. But in terms of boron, we usually talk one of two things. It's either a dry boron, 
And then we're spreading that out, usually in the fall. You could spread it in the spring too, but we're spreading that out in the fall to try to build soil test levels. Otherwise, we're talking about a liquid boron, and it it's maybe like a 10% boron or something like that liquid. We'll spray it either with herbicide, broadcast, pre-emerge in the spring, or you could use a little bit foliar. And you have to be real careful what you're doing foliar because there could be some burn to the crop. So just make sure it's put with plenty of water and you're keeping your rate real low. But yeah, there are a lot of companies out there selling different boron products. I can think of several off the top of my head right now. All right, thanks for the question. We got this one from Delane in Iowa, and he said, I'm planting Liberty Link and Enlist soybeans this year, and I plan to put Zidua Pro on the same day that I plant the beans, followed by Liberty and Outlook on Liberty Beans after after the crop's up. I plan to use Zidua Pro, followed by Outlook and Enlist on the Enlist beans. I want to verify, can I use Outlook after I've already put Zidua Pro on. Oh, you know, this is an interesting question, Delane. And when we think about some of these different combination products that are going out there, I always have to look at the component chart and see, man, what's in all those combos? Because there's quite a few of them on the market today. Okay, so here's what Zidua Pro is. It's a combination of Sharpen, Pursuit, and Zidua. Where, uh, did she say where she's from? Uh, no, he. Delane. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Oh, oh, sorry. And Brian has a daughter named Delaney. Yeah, I so misheard. I think, yeah. I think he might have thought I was saying that. Uh, okay. Anyway, Delane says uh, he's in Iowa. And he oh, is, Iowa. Yep, planning okay. Liberty and Enlist. All right. So here's why I wouldn't use Zidua Pro. It, you sharpen, you can only use one ounce. You're not going to have enough residual to carry into the season. If you try bumping the rate, that's not good. You're going to hurt your beans. Pursuit, you got a full four ounces. That's too much. I would never recommend that in the state of Iowa. Way too much. You've got risk of carry over the following year. I mean, unless you're planting beans on beans. Uh, and then the Zidua is fine. Zidua is a group 15 that's in there. It, it would be somewhat similar to Outlook. I don't have any real big issue with that. I'd rather use it post-emerge than pre. So instead, this is why we always talk about the three pre's. We'd recommend some Metribuzin, either Valor or Authority, plus Trifluralin in conventional till or Prowl in no-till. If you were to do all three of those that I just mentioned, Metribuzin, Trifluralin, and either Valor or Authority, you're only going to spend about 12 bucks an acre. That's it. So you'll spend more, spend roughly eight or nine bucks more if you go to Prowl instead of Trifluralin. So what I'm saying is you can spend less money than you're going to spend on the Zidual Pro. You're going to get something far better on the weeds that you're after, and you're going to have less risk for carryover. So I would not use Zidual Pro. But if you choose to use Zidual Pro, can you follow with Outlook post-emerge? Yes, you can. All right, thanks for the question. Got this one from Mike, and he said, I, I got a question for you on how I'm putting my fertilizer and I was just wondering what your thoughts would be. We do a lot of no-till beans and try to strip-till corn and normally in the fall we go in and inline rip the bean stubble and come back in the spring and strip-till and put on 40 pounds of 32 and side dress later. But this year we're going to ban liquid P and K. We use a Don Coulter system so we really aren't able to go maybe five inches deep with our product. So we were thinking what you what, or we were wondering what you would think if we set our inline ripper up and put either the liquid or dry P and K down around ten or twelve inches yep. deep Works and fine. run the same way that we would strip till in the spring with our forty pounds of thirty two. Where is he from? Doesn't say. Okay. And you said inline rip in the spring, right? Inline rip the bean stubble, then come back in the spring. 
So go in in the fall oh, and inland okay. grip. Okay. Yeah. So my, my only concern with what just got said there was trying to inline rip in the spring. And so, yeah, I'm not exactly sure what you're talking about here. Fall, no problem. But spring, my concern just gets to be how long until that ground is fit clear down to 10 or 12 inches. If the ground is fit that deep, then could you have been planting two weeks earlier than that? Now, if we have a dry and warm spring, no problem with doing that in the spring. Uh, and yeah, we, we never, the issue is, so just so I'm clear here, the issue is not putting P and K down at 10 or 12 inches. We've done a whole bunch of that in the past, proven it works fantastically well. I'd love to see you do that, but we have to make sure that the ground is fit to do it. All right. Thanks for the question. Okay. I got this one from ATB who says, you're talking about soybean nodulation. I'm just wondering if you could repeat to me when the roots are cut, when the nodules are cut open, what color would yep. show that the nodulation is not working? Oh, like a green or black. Yeah, green or brown or, or something like yep. that. That would not be working. But if you yeah. saw inside the nodule that it is a pink to a darker red, that's a good sign. So you aren't necessarily going to cut roots open. You're going to cut open just the nodules that are on the outside. I was just thinking there, I, I hope he's not colorblind. <laughs> nope. Uh, hope, hope not to. Okay. If, if you are, then just ask somebody else to take a look, but maybe you figured it out along the way too. Okay. This one's from Deborah in Arizona. And she said, you guys were talking about fixing high soil pH and your talk was a little too advanced for me. I've got a backyard garden in a high alkaline soil. Just wondering, would you have any tips for a backyard gardener uh, who's not going to buy a tile plow, et cetera? Well, we, yeah, our, our tip is always the same. I don't care if we're talking a garden or a, or a great big field. It's soil test. Send yeah. us the results, and then we can give you advice. Because thing, let's just say you've got terrible soil, Deborah, and it, it just, man, I just can't get anything to grow back there. Try a raised garden. And then you can get away from, all right, I'm, I'm stuck with, with this poor soil quality here. I could yeah. do a raised garden instead. Yeah, I mean, that's the advantage you have with a garden because – all these things we talk about, oh, cost per acre is so bad. Well, you're not doing an acre. So you can spend a lot of money on a per acre basis, and it's not very many total dollars because it's the size of a garden. What we would tell you is high alkaline. Our first thought is calcium, but I don't know if you have a whole bunch of sodium or some other or magnesium, something that's causing that pH to go way high. What we're usually looking at is we want to make sure we have calcium in that kind of 65 to 75% range in a base saturation test in your soil test. And if your pH is still high, then we're usually talking about elemental sulfur. Adding some elemental sulfur, absolutely, and you can read up this on this in gardening magazines, that elemental sulfur will absolutely lower your pH and help get you more production. All right. Thanks for the, the question, Deborah. Really appreciate that. Thanks to everybody who called in today or, or sent in questions. We, we always appreciate that. We love the challenge of agronomy questions, and, and hopefully we're able to provide some help for you too. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.